0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey everybody, welcome to my living room. It's another wonderful Sunday, and I know it's an unusual one because we can't actually be together, but we're going to have some fun over the next 30 minutes. We're going to learn some stuff, and, and I think we're going to really enjoy the process. I'm spending a lot of time in my living room, and I know you are in yours as well, because we're all sort of locked up and these are unprecedented times. But you know, I have, I have some messages of encouragement. The first is this, our world has never been better prepared for a time like this than it is right now. We have more medical expertise working on this, on this pandemic than ever in the history of the world was available to us and also we're better equipped. For instance, what we're doing today where I'm able to teach you and you are able to hear uh, and participate in your homes or wherever you are, and you know, 50 years ago, that wouldn't have been possible for anybody. So uh, this this is the best time for this to have happened in our world. I wanna say this as well, never have our community groups been more important than they are right now because it's our community groups that are keeping us connected. They're kind of like the glue that's holding our church together and allowing us uh, to be the church to one another. And then a third thing is, this is a wonderful time for us to get sort of a reality check on the fact that we are all responsible for our own spiritual growth. And I know a lot of times we try to sort of pass that off to the church or the pastor. But, you know, times like this remind us that it's actually our responsibility for us to grow spiritually and to bring into our lives whatever resources are needed for us to be able to do that. So I'm just reminded that in God's economy, nothing is ever wasted. Now, listen, I know that we're all giving up a lot right now. That, that's very, very true. Uh, and it sort of reminds me of a joke that someone sent my way the other day. They said, you know what? Um, I've been raised in the era of Steve Jobs, Johnny Cash, and Bob Hope. Now there's no jobs, no cash, and no hope. I sure hope nothing happens to Kevin Bacon. And that might tell you where our priorities are, but in the midst of all these things and the sacrifices that we're having to make, I just wanna make sure, and and I wanna say to you, please don't miss what God has for you during this season because he never wastes anything in our life and we'll see that in a little bit when we get into our teaching and particularly if you're not yet in one of our community groups there is never a better time to get involved in a community group and begin to make those friendships and those connections than right now and we are sending out to all of our community group leaders the capacity to hold virtual meetings online, and you're going to hear a lot more about that over the next few weeks. So when we roll out the signups, it's a perfect time. Just don't be snoozing at that moment and miss that. Now we're in this series called "Opportunity Is Knocking," and uh, it, it's really about God's will and determining God's will and finding God's will, and what's it like and And so the last two weeks, uh, Joel has laid out for us uh, wonderful teachings that have just sort of laid the format for this. Today, I'm going to give us some teaching that might get a hold of our spiritual foundation and shake it a little. And that's going to be a good thing, Uh, because sometimes it's not until our spiritual foundation is shaken that we actually are able to bring new things into our lives that, Maybe we would have just passed over if our foundation wasn't shaken. And Joel took us to this passage of scripture in in Revelation chapter 3, and this is Jesus talking to a group of people that were in a period of time very much like ours. They were under duress, they were being persecuted, and, and they were having to hide away in their homes And Jesus said to them, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. Two things out of that passage. Number one, he said, I know all the things you do. That was Jesus saying to the people, listen, I know what you're going through. I'm fully aware of it. I'm, I'm actually with you in it. I have been watching you. And I think that would be his message for us today as we hunker down in our homes He's saying, I know all the stuff you're going through. I know that some of you have relatives who are being diagnosed with COVID-19. I know the stress and the pressure you're under. But he also says, I've opened a door for you that no one can close. In all my studies of all of the characters of the Bible and the stories in the Bible, I can tell you this for sure, that the God that you and I are, are getting to know and, and are coming to follow. He's the God of the open door. He always has an open door for his people to walk through. And so I want you to hear that message loud and clear as we jump into this teaching. Now today we're gonna to be talking about the quandary of the open doors. And there's an irony in that because when God shuts all the doors but one, we all figure it out. We go, okay, I know what to do. I know what decision to make because, well, there's only one out there that actually works. But what happens when there are lots of doors? And frankly, in most of life, there are lots of doors, not just one. In fact, those that do research tell us that on an average day, you and I make 35,000 decisions. I want you to think about that for a minute. That's a lot of decisions, and very few of those have only one door. For instance, whom should I marry? Whom should I date? What, what career should I pursue? Where should I live? What school should I go to? What clothes should I put on? Those all have multiple doors of opportunity. And we, we all kind of tend to fall into one of two categories. For some of us, we kind of fall into the, what I would call the paralysis of analysis. When you get too many doors in front of us, we just kind of squat on the floor and don't go through any of them Um, because we're afraid. um, Joel talked about this last week, that FOMO, the fear of missing out. If I go through this door, what have I missed behind that door or this door or this door? and, And pretty soon we're not going through any door. The other camp of us can tend to be the people that go, fine, I've got 10 doors which one do I like? And we go, I'm going through that door and I'm gonna ask God to bless it. Now listen, I didn't say that we always say, which door is the wisest? Sometimes we go, which door do I like? Whether it's wise or not. So what is God's will really like? Well, if you were raised with a background in church like I was, then God's will was often pictured for us kind of like this railroad switching yard here, where you come in and there's all these train tracks that you could take. And the idea that we were told is that God has a track for your life. And out of all of these tracks, your job and mine was to pick the one track that God had for us. And oh, by the way, if we got it wrong, there was some form of a train wreck waiting for us somewhere down line. And so it put a lot of pressure on us to find the right track. But there's another way that God's will could be pictured, and it's like this sandbox, where God lays down some guidelines and they actually form the border of the sandbox, but in the sandbox, long as I stay in there, I'm actually free to build whatever I want to build, as long as it doesn't damage my my playing buddy, and as long as it's kind and considerate to him or her. So which one of those actually best characterizes God's will and how it works for us? Well, there's a way that we could say that like this. Is God more interested in me doing the right thing? That would be staying (laughs) on the right track in the railroad yard or becoming a great person. And let's expand that a little bit. In other words, is my life intended to be an exercise of me discovering the one path God has chosen for me or is it about God and I building a life together? One where he's more interested in the decisions that I make than in making them for me. Now it's no surprise that the people of Jesus' day wrestled with these same questions. And I love how Jesus addressed them <clears throat> and taught them just this amazing truth that was so revolutionary to the people of his day, and I'm surprised is still pretty revolutionary in our day. Jesus said one day to his followers, I have revealed You, he was speaking to Jesus, I have, uh, to God, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me. Now, what he was actually saying is that there was some part about God that we just didn't get until Jesus came, and then he revealed it to us. We can see this a little more clearly when he was talking to Philip, one of his closest followers, and he said, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time anyone who has seen me has seen the father he was saying to philip hey philip god is not like you imagine him to be and to philip he was a typical jew god was the king he was the boss he was the ruler he was the manager he was the one that philip had to give an account to and so he saw god in that very exalted position and yet Jesus says to Philip, Hey, Philip, do you want to know what God's like? God is exactly the way I have been with you. So it's not surprising then when some other followers of Jesus came to him one day <clears throat> and they said, Jesus teach us how to pray. And Jesus gave them a very surprising answer. They wanted to know how to connect with God. And Jesus said, look, This is your Father you're dealing with. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father, and those are the beginning words of the famous Lord's Prayer. Now, I've noticed in my life, and sometimes I think those two words, our Father, might be the two most important words in the Bible for me. Because when I'm wrestling with some aspect of life, and it just doesn't seem to add up, Very often when I remember that the way life is supposed to work is that God is actually my father, not my boss, not my king, not my lord, none of those things, not my judge, but that God is actually relating to me as a father and that he considers me his son. And when I put it in the context of a father-child relationship, then that aspect of life that wasn't adding up Begins to add up and over and over and over again in Jesus' life, He continually took people back to the fact that God is our Father. And that brings up an interesting question. So, if God is my Father, well, what's His goal or His will for me? What does He really want for me? Well, fortunately, it's spelled straight out. One of one of Jesus' closest followers, a guy by the name of Paul, who spent the early part of his life literally rejecting God's will and kicking against it, but eventually he embraced it into his life and it changed him in the, in the most uh, amazing way possible. Paul wrote about this to some of his friends and here's what he said. We can be sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Now I said to you a while ago, in God's economy, nothing is ever wasted, not even this, not even the shelter and place time. It's never wasted. Why? Every detail in our lives, every single one of them, is worked into something good. God knew what He was doing from the beginning. So, what's the good thing that God is actually working this all into? He goes on to say, He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. Now, before I read the rest of it, what he's actually saying is every detail of your life, every event that comes into your life, whether you made the decision and it came as a result or somebody else made a decision and it came into your life or nobody made a decision, it's just COVID-19 and it came into our lives. Every detail God is using to shape us into the same lines as the life of his son, because we see the original and intended shape of our lives in him. So in real life, this is what that looks like with God as my father. He wants me to become, and these are things that are like Jesus, wise, resilient, loving and strong. And how is that going to happen? through making my own decisions, living with their consequences and learning from them. See, now it may surprise you and me, but God's far more interested in in you and I growing up, AKA maturing, than actually just doing the right thing because those are two very different things. So for the rest of our time this morning, I wanna take us through what I would call a basic door choosing guide. And so we're just gonna do a flyover and we'll come back and address this many times throughout the rest of the year. But for today, I wanna introduce us to this door choosing guide or how to make wise decisions because it's as we make wise decisions that we grow and mature and become resilient and strong. So here's number one, be the door chooser of your life. Don't put that on God. Don't put that on the church or a pastor or anyone else. Be the door changer, the door chooser of your life. I said at the beginning of this teaching, it's important that you and I realize we're responsible for our own spiritual growth and development. Well, until we make decisions, we can't actually take responsibility. And so over and over again, Jesus and and his followers and the apostles are continually encouraging us be the door chooser of your life and don't put that, don't blame it on your parents, don't put it on God, don't come and say, okay, tell me what to do. No, choose out those doors yourself. Number two, free yourself from having to make the perfect decision. Now it might surprise you, but you're a human being, and so am I. And it might also surprise you that it was only a few years ago that God. Really took me to task on this. And then one day he said to me, Ron, I think you'd like yourself if you just weren't human. And my response to him was, Of course I would like myself if I wasn't just human. I struggle with the fact that I'm a human being and I make mistakes and I struggle and I often don't get it right. And his answer to me was, I like you as a human being. And it would be good for you to like yourself as a human being and recognize you are human. And God knows that. And he wants us to learn to embrace our humanity and to say, it's okay if every decision I make isn't, isn't good. In fact, some of them will be absolutely lousy, but they're never wasted because in God's economy, nothing is ever wasted, not even a bad decision, because God will use it to shape us into along the lines of Jesus. Number three, God would say, wise up. Did you know this is what God wants for you? Remember, he's our father and we are his children. Isn't that what every parent wants for their kid? That they would wise up. That they would would grow and mature and begin to take on a perspective of wisdom toward life. And so how do we do that? Well, here are a number of ways that we can do it. First of all, God says, if you need wisdom, well, ask me. He said, James, Jesus' brother wrote, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will what? He'll give it to you. Don't ask God to make the decision for you. Ask God to give you wisdom to make the right decision because if God makes the decision for you, you learn nothing and you don't grow. If God gives you wisdom, you learn and you actually grow your faith. So Paul, the guy I referenced earlier, said to the people that he wrote to, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. There are three wisdom terms in there, knowledge, depth of insight, and discernment. You see, what God wants for you is that you would actually develop and grow in this area of wisdom. And so he says, ask me for it, pray for it, and let me work in your life. But there's some other things that we can do besides, God didn't say, just pray and sit in your easy chair and wait till I dump a boatload of wisdom on you. He said, there's some things that you can do as well to develop it internally. And here's the first one. You can practice wisdom. I said earlier we make about 35,000 decisions every day. Did you realize that's 35,000 opportunities to exercise wisdom? I'll oh, bet that's more than you thought you had when you got out of bed this morning. 35,000 opportunities to grow and develop wisdom. Why? Because choosing the little doors wisely, okay, maybe 34,999 of those doors are. Tiny. What clothes am I going to wear? What am I going to eat for food? Am I going to eat that second donut? You got what I'm saying? Make the little choices wisely, and then it will prepare you to choose the big doors well. It's always been that way with God, and it always will. This is practicing wisdom. Here's another tip. Wise up by borrowing wisdom. My parents used to say to me, Ron, look, learn from other people's mistakes. You can't afford to make them all yourself. That's pretty good wisdom. There's a flip side to that statement, too. And that is learn from other people's wisdom because you can't possibly discover it all yourself. So one of the best ways to borrow wisdom is to reach out and ask for it. We can learn from the collective wisdom of our community. Another reason why it's great to get into one of our community groups because there's a pool of wisdom in every community group that's outstanding. If you were just to add up the ages of all the people in your community group and virtually every group in our church, there would be more than a hundred years of experience sitting right there. Borrow that wisdom whenever you can and grow your own. Here's another tip, wise up by nurturing wisdom. If you think of wisdom as a plant, then there are certain conditions under which it thrives and grows and does really well. But there are other conditions where it doesn't do well at all. And you know, in his book, All the Places to Go, How Will You Know, John Ortberg teaches this principle. We should never try to choose the right course of action when we're in the wrong frame of mind. It just never will work. And those that work in the world of addiction and overcoming addiction, they have this acronym HALT. And it's four times when you're going to have a difficult time making a wise decision under four conditions. When you're hungry, you're angry, you're lonely, or you're tired. So wisdom would say, don't make an important decision when any one of those four is active in your life. One of the best ways to make good decisions is to make them in the best frame of mind. That's nurturing wisdom. Here's another tip. <clears throat> Wise up <clears throat> by avoiding the door one or the door two trap. This is one of the easiest traps to fall into. And, and oftentimes we find ourselves... We've got to make a decision. Am I going to do this or am I going to do that? And neither one of them looks really good. And we find ourselves sometimes saying, well, which is the lesser of two evils? And we get stuck in that place. And actually, the wisest answer is neither door number one or number two. It could be door number three, four, five, six, maybe door number nine. Why don't we choose those doors? Because... Door number one and door number two are often the most obvious ones. And they're the ones that are most available to us. Oftentimes doors three, four, and five, we have to dig for and we have to search for them and we have to do some research and we have to ask around before those options actually become available to us. Wisdom would say, don't settle for door one and door two. When neither one of them looks good, dig deeper dig longer, do more research, because oftentimes or sometimes our wisest choice is neither door one nor door two. And Last of all, we should wise up by experimenting and failing on the way to learning. There's part of this I love and part of this I hate. Uh, The part of it I hate is I don't like to fail. And I'm sure everybody watching this doesn't like to fail either, and yet, I sat in a seminar not too long ago and there was a whole unit in the seminar on resiliency and they gave the two primary characteristics of resilient people and I won't get into the other one, but one of the two primary characteristics of resilient people is they view failure as a normal part of the learning process. They don't connect shame with it. They don't connect regret with it. They just view it as a normal part. Now think with me about a child that's learning how to walk. How often do they fail? One, two steps, down they go. All of us adults gather around them and we cheer. They took only two steps, but we cheer because we realize they're learning how to walk. The child has no fear and no shame and no regret, at all connected with falling down. It's not till we get older that we connect shame with falling. I wonder sometimes if we also connect shame with every form of failure. And that's not actually good for us. Because if we experiment and fail, we are on the way to learning and God is our father. He does for us what you did for every one of your kids when they took two steps and fell. He he cheers and goes, great job. I'm so glad you tried. Look what you've learned. Now stand up and try that again and see if you can go farther this time because experimenting and failing is a normal part of any learning process. So I want to close our teaching time Uh, By going back to those two pictures, the railroad switching yards and uh, the sandbox and the children. Those are two different models of God. The railroad switching yards views God as sort of our manager or our ruler. And he's laid out a predetermined path for us. And it's our job to find it, get on it, stay on it, and, and so forth. And then the other is the sandbox, which views God as our father. I want to give you some good news. God will accept you no matter which way you view his, his will. Now, one is a lot more fun than the other, but you don't have to worry about being rejected from God or by God if somehow your view of him and his will is a little off. He's okay with that. But let's, let's take a look at those two models and see what we can learn. First of all, in the switching yards, God is our manager and ruler. It means that we want him to make the choices. So he makes the choices for us and our job is to comply and we comply, but we don't grow. Think about it like this. If you have a teenager and they came to you every day and they said, what do you want me to do? And we told them what to do and they just went and did it and they came back the next day. What do you want me to do? And we told them and they did it. Now, I know that there are days when you go, oh, please, I would take three weeks of that. But in the end, you wouldn't take a lifetime because you know in the end your teenager would never grow up. God knows that about us. So we comply, but we don't grow. And we live our whole lives in this context of compliance, of yielding, of surrendering. And here's the big deal, uncertainty. Because what happens when you seek after God and you want him to make all the decisions of your life And every decision you make, you make believing that God has guided you to that decision. What happens when that decision turns out bad? It leads you to two options. Either I messed up and I'm off track and there's something wrong with me or God can't be trusted. And friends, that's where God gets the blame for a lot of stuff that he doesn't actually deserve because it's this model that leads us to this uncertainty. Now, let's take a look at the playground. In in the sandbox, with God as our Father, we make the decisions. No right-thinking parent comes out to a three-year-old child and says, this is what you should build in your sandbox. Don't waste your time with that stuff you want to make. You make what I tell you to make. No. When you put a child in the sandbox, what you want the child to do is you want them to make what they want to make and as a parent, you are keenly interested in what they choose to make and how they choose to make it. That's how God is with us. So, I make the decisions, and when I invite God to, he comes in the sandbox with me and helps me build. I learn and grow in the process because yeah, sometimes I build things that fall down. And God says, "Hey, would you like some help? Would you like to know why that fell down?" And then he helps me, and I I learn and I grow. And I live in this context of opportunity. I live in the context of responsibility. I live in the context of adventure. And most of all, I live in the context of certainty. Not certainty that everything I do will succeed. Not the certainty of every decision I make will be a good one. But I live in the certainty that God will take every detail of my life. Good decision or bad decision. God will take every detail of my life and use it to shape me along the lines of his son. For it's in him that our lives find their intended shape. So as I close, I want to close with a prayer for you and for me. I want to close with a prayer for our world. But most importantly, I want to close with a prayer that you and I won't miss. What God has for us during this season, when we are sheltered in place, and whatever the coming weeks and months look like, that we won't miss it. And I also wanna pray that God will give to you and me a better understanding of how he can be our father and we can be his kids. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this world that you've made. And as this pandemic grips our world and more and more people are getting diagnosed, Would you reassure us that you're not sitting in heaven saying, oh my goodness, I didn't see this coming, but that you have fortified us for this time and that you knew it was coming and you're going to use it in amazingly good ways. And yet in the midst of that, God, we pray for every family that's losing or has lost or will lose a loved one. Would you be near to them? God, we pray for the people of our world Recognizing that they're all your children and that your heart aches and breaks for every one of them that's struggling today. Every single person that's on a ventilator and struggling for life, your heart breaks for every one of them. So we come alongside them in prayer. And God, we pray for the leaders of our world as they grapple with and struggle with huge decisions that have long-term ramifications. God, would you invest wisdom in them? And our prayer is that they would open their hearts to you, that the decisions they make would be decisions that save lives. And God, we pray for church leaders who all across the world are trying to figure out in these days where we can't get together, how do we stay connected? How do we foster connections? How do we equip the people of our churches and our communities to find their connections with you? So God, would you give all of us church leaders wisdom as well? And God, as we turn our attention toward the teaching of this day, would you help us to understand with greater clarity and a deeper sense of reality that you are our Father and you want us to take responsibility for our lives. And you want us to be the decision makers of our lives, not so that we can go out and live them selfishly, but so that we can go out and live them wisely and unselfishly and lovingly and with great care for those around us. And in the process, Would you help us to grow and become more and more like Jesus? It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, it's been great to be with you. I hope you're having a great Sunday. And uh, boy, stay tuned for more stuff to come about groups. Stay tuned for more stuff to come uh, down from Joel and the rest of our leadership. We consider it an honor to be in your homes every opportunity we get. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.